it's important for us to, you know, just think about what we're actually singing. And it's important to mean it. You know, is there really nothing better to us than God himself, than what he's done for us in Christ? Not even turkey. Not even turkey. Some of you are more on the ham side of things, so not even ham, maybe. It's a beautiful reminder for us that there really is nothing better than God. And he has shown himself to us in Christ, and we're so grateful. So many things to be grateful for, and uh, this is a wonderful season to remember those things. Every day is a good day to thank God, but the Thanksgiving season is a great season to really reflect on what God has done for us. And I think that keeps us out of trouble. And we find in Jeremiah that they, the people of God are often in trouble. And we're certainly no different. Uh, but for the grace of God, uh, we certainly are in that same boat. We're nearing the end of a series of sermons on the book of Jeremiah, which is a prophetic book predicting coming disaster for Judea. Because they had forgotten God. They quit, I think, in a sense, giving thanks and honoring him with their lives. And we're going to read a section today out of Jeremiah chapter 34. And just to briefly, very briefly set the scene here. uh, Jerusalem, which is the center, the capital of Judea, has been under siege by a country called the Babylonians. And there's a small break in this siege that's been going on. And so we're going to read about kind of what happens during that uh, brief pause on this uh, siege that will eventually end in the destruction of this city and of Judah as a whole. So that's what we're reading today out of Jeremiah chapter 34. Pick up with me in verse 8. We'll read through a few verses together. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves, both male and female, and no one was to hold a fellow Hebrew in bondage. So all the officials and the people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them and bondage. They agreed and set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves that had freed, they had freed and enslaved them. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said, every seventh year, each of you must free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves to you. After they have served you six years, you must let them go free. Your ancestors, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Recently, you repented and did what was right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to your own people. You made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name, which would be the temple. But now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you have taken back the male and female slaves you set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So now I proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, 
and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them, and their bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them, to the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. I am going to give the order, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it down. And I will lay waste to the towns of Judah so no one can live there. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Man, that was cheery, wasn't it? (laughs) Sometimes I do think, you know, we should just read the happy verses, but let's be honest. These tough verses are there for a reason, and so... We're going to take a look at what we can learn from it. But first, I want to just say we have kingdom kids today. So any kiddos who want to head on over here with our kingdom kid workers, and they're going to have a chance to go learn and worship at their level. And our, they'll be in the building next door, by the way. And our Christian Life Center upstairs, follow the smell of the food, and then go up the stairs, and you'll find it. Well, this is a holiday week. We are approaching Thanksgiving. How many of you are going to see family? You are heading out of town in some form or fashion to go see family. A few of you. How many of you have family coming to you? They're heading your way. All right. Is anybody at all nervous about all this family time you're about to have? Several of you are. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? That's, I'm glad you're here then. Because I think uh, God might have something for you today as it comes to dealing with those closest to you. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, I think, um, if, you, if you ever paused and considered, why is it that those who are closest to us can hurt us the most and we can hurt them the most? I don't know about you, but I found that to be true. I also find that it can be true that those that we can cause, you know, that we can look down on and not love as we should often are those who are very different than us. They may have different beliefs. They may have, uh, they may have a, a different, uh, they may be on a different political aisle than you. They may be, they may have um, a different socioeconomic status than you. They may be, you know, lower or higher on that ladder. But those who are very close to us and those who are very different from us, I think are the ones that we often have the most challenge loving as we should. And I think that's something that we see exactly right here in this story of Jeremiah. And so we're, if, if that describes you, if you're at all nervous about spending time with family who is either too close or too different, and you know it's going to be a challenge to love them, God has you here for a reason. I think what we're going to hear from Jeremiah can be helpful to us. Before I pause and pray... And then we will dive into Jeremiah 34. I want to mention to you real quickly, uh, we are about to be in what we call the season of Advent. And that is a season of anticipation, looking forward to the birth of Jesus. Each week of Advent, which is the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day, we're going to have something really special each of those Sundays. 
And uh, starting next Sunday, where we'll have our ladies' ensemble come and share some Christmas songs with us. The following Sunday will be our children's praise team, and they've been working real hard to share some really fun songs with you. And then on the 11th, the third week of Advent, December 11th, the youth have been working on a Christmas play that has some really neat uh, lessons for us to learn together, and they're going to be sharing that during the service on the 11th. And then on the 18th, the handbells are going to share some beautiful Christmas, traditional Christmas songs with us, which we always look forward to. On top of that, we have Christmas Eve service on Saturday this year. And then Christmas Day, we'll have our Sunday morning service. Sunday only, we will not have Bible study that morning. We will just have Sunday morning worship service at the normal time. And so this is also a great opportunity for us to extend invitation to others and say, hey, why don't you come join me for church this season? People are who don't normally go to church are often open to going to church, uh, to worship service or something like that around holiday seasons, especially around Christmas. And so to make it easy for you to invite, invite people, your friends, your family, people you go to school with, to invite them to join you on a Sunday, we've made these little invite cards. And on one side, it talks about Sunday morning worship service. And then on the back side, it's got information about our Christmas Eve service, which will be at 6 o'clock. I forgot to mention that, but that's going to be at 6 o'clock. So I would just encourage you, these are on this table. They're on the table in the back, and I believe in the foyer as well. Grab two or three, put them in your pocket, put them in your purse or your wallet. And as you're checking out at the grocery store, you're visiting with your neighbor, or you're heading to class, just pull one of those out and say, hey, we'd love to have you join us, okay? So it's just an easy little tool. And uh, we're looking forward to, to Christmas here at First Baptist Kennedy this year, so it's going to be great. All right, now let's pause and pray, and then we'll take a look at Jeremiah 34. Would you pray with me? Father God, as always, we thank you for your word that uh, you want to speak to us. You want us to hear from you. And so you have, even as we see in Jeremiah, you have commanded him uh, to record through a scribe, but to record the messages you gave to him and what happened in his life and the life of your people. And, and that was not just for them, it's for us. And so, God, we come to your word expecting that, that you want to talk to us about our lives, about who you are and who we are and how we are supposed to operate, how we are supposed to live in relationship to you and one another. And God, we're grateful that not only do you let us know how you expect us to live, but you also give us your Holy Spirit to reside in us, to help us, those who have believed in you, to strengthen us. And God, most of all, we're thankful for Jesus. He's the reason we have the Spirit. He's the reason we can not only know what you want, but to want what you want, because you change us from the inside out in Christ. His love for us transforms us, and that's what we pray would happen even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a kind of an interesting time in Judah's life. We've been covering this story for a while, but God's people, Israel... Uh, was divided into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom was simply known as Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem resides, which most of you have heard of that city before. It's one of the things that, I don't know, it clicked for me much later in life, but, you know, the, not only is the Bible God talking to us, but these, these are real places. This is, this is, God came into, created this world, and Jesus came into a world. It's a physical place set in time and history. And so history tells us that, Drew, uh, 
that Judah, the southern kingdom, outlasts the northern kingdom, Israel. Israel is overtaken by the Assyrians because of their sinfulness. And the same is going to happen to Judah, even though they've been warned. And that's part of Jeremiah's job is to warn them. This is what's going to happen. Uh, just as the Assyrians overtook our brothers and sisters to the north, uh, Israel, they're going to come for us, uh, or, or the Babylonians are going to come for us. God is going to discipline us through these people. And so that has already begun to take place. And what happens is the way is there, uh, Jerusalem itself, the city is, is under siege by the Babylonians. So they're in a sense trapped inside the walls of Jerusalem and just imagine what that must have been like to know that you've got an enemy on the outside of those walls that want to get in and take you over. It's a pretty serious situation as you can imagine. And that's why perhaps, uh, or, or most certainly that's why they make this decision. Now, now this is going to kind of, uh, there's a tangent here I don't really want to go down too far, but we just have to understand the issue of slavery in the Bible um, is not exactly the same as, as what we often think of when we hear the word slavery. We think of slavery, typically what we're thinking of is uh, slavery that took place in America, uh, in the 18th century that, you know, that people were bought from another country in Africa and other places. And then they were, uh, they were brought from there and sold in America. And we think of that kind of slavery. And certainly that is a kind of slavery. It's actually a kind of slavery that's directly forbidden in the Bible to, uh, do that sort of thing. But there is a recognition that there is other kinds of slavery. You, if you were following along, you may have missed it because we read a lot in uh, Jeremiah. But you may have seen in there that this kind of slavery is different than that kind of slavery that took place in our country's history. Uh, This kind of slavery is, I'm poor, I don't have enough money to feed my family. If I go and sell myself into slavery to this person, then they can take care of my needs and I will work for them. Sometimes it's called being a bond servant. um, But that's the idea And God had set out from the beginning that you should be setting these people free every six years. Uh, In the seventh year, you should set those folks free and don't continue to force them to work for you. There was also provision that if they wanted to continue to work for you because maybe you took good care of them and so on, they could do that. They could choose to, to stick around in a sense. But that's the kind of slavery that's specifically being addressed here is these folks had sold them, sold themselves into this slavery, but they weren't being set free as the Bible had commanded those who uh, purchased them to set them free every in the seventh year. They weren't doing that. And so I need to explain that because of what's taking place in this passage. The question becomes, why are they, why are they deciding now to set these folks free? What we know is that the history of God's people is they did not set people free. That whole, the idea of the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, you may have heard that before. God laid that out in Deuteronomy 15 and God's people did not follow it. They were not being obedient to set the people who had sold themselves into slavery free in that seventh year. They did not do that. So why now? Why would they choose now? In the midst of this siege that's taking place... There's at least three reasons, and I don't think any of them uh, are very good reasons. Uh, There's a better reason to obey God that doesn't fit within one of these three. 
But these are the three possibilities, okay? The first one was that they perhaps they felt like we're under siege. We need more people to fight. If we set our slaves free, they may be more apt to fight for their freedom because now they've tasted their freedom and they're willing to take up arms to help protect the city. That's option A. Option B might be that the owners of the slaves felt like you know, we're under siege, we're in trouble. Uh, one of the first things you would do is cut off supply lines and things like that. So, so resources are limited. So we don't want to have to keep taking care of these people. We're going to set them free so that we don't have to use our scarce resources to care for them. Maybe that's uh, an option for why they set them free. That, so that's option B. Option C, which I think is most likely... Uh, And again, none of these are good reasons. There's a much better reason, which is just to simply obey God because God said to do that. Uh, But I think what is also possible is what has Jeremiah been saying? You guys are going to be taken over by, we, Jeremiah was one of them, we are going to get taken over by the Babylonians because we've disobeyed God. And so I think probably what happened in, in these folks' minds, starting with the king, is that, okay, well, if we make this shift or this adjustment, then maybe God won't overtake us. If we finally obey God, maybe God will relent, which God had basically said he would do. But the motivation is to get out of trouble rather than to honor God. And how do we know that? We know that that was their motivation because as soon as the, as soon as the siege was on pause and Babylon left and, and most likely just kind of the geopolitical thing that's going on in the world during that time is and we're going to get into this a little bit more next week. But you have um, Babylon over here and you have Egypt over here. And in between the two is the land of Israel and Judah. And so what we think is taking place is Egypt has began to approach that promised land, the land of Israel. They're causing problems for the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians stopped stop the siege against Jerusalem to deal with the Egyptians. And during that pause... The Israel are, are those living in Judah, those living in Jerusalem, they're thinking it's over. The war is over. The siege is over. You know, we finally obeyed God and God rescued us or whatever it is that was going on in their mind. And as soon as the pressure was off, what do we see take place? Verse 11, but afterward they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. I think that's how we know that these folks weren't doing what was right simply because it was right. They weren't doing right by these people that they had owned because that was the thing that God had told them to do. And they love God and they want to honor God and they want to please God. That doesn't seem to be the motivation at all. And as soon as the pressure is off, they enslave these people again in a way that was absolutely against the will of God who told them those who sell themselves into slavery you must free. And then he quotes, the Lord quotes through Jeremiah out of Deuteronomy 15 and verse 14. Every, servant, every seventh year, each of you must free any, fellows, any fellow Hebrews. Hebrews is another way of just talking about uh, Israelites or uh, Jewish people. You must set free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves to you. And so they didn't. They re-enslaved them. And what takes place after that? Well, God is going to punish them. God says, okay, you don't want to free your fellow Hebrew? 
my people, then you will be free, free to be punished. That's God using sarcasm. Did you know God uses sarcasm in the Bible? He does. This is one of those places. He's being sarcastic. You don't want to free people? All right. You get to be free, free to experience the discipline that I told you was coming. Now, what this should have been is obvious. They should have known that that's what was going to take place. How so? Because this whole thing began with a word covenant. This whole situation began with a commitment from God's people to God to say, we're going to uphold our end of things. God, we're hoping you're going to uphold your end of things. And let's make an agreement. And you read there, and I talked about it last week, but they would take an animal, they would cut it in half, typically a calf. Both parties would walk through the, between those two halves of the calf. And what they're saying is, is if we don't uphold our end of the covenant, let what happened to this animal happen to us. So when God says, look, you didn't uphold your end of things. You said you're going to set them free, and you did for a moment, but then you took them back as your slaves with no end in sight. So you have violated your end of the deal. That means you will receive the punishment that has already been agreed upon. So there should have been no surprise on the behalf of the, uh, of the folks in Judah or, or specifically in Jerusalem under King Zedekiah's leadership. There should have been no surprise that they're going to be punished. They're going to get what's coming to them. That's, and, it's, and it's harsh. However, I think uh, we trust God that the punishment fits the crime here. And here's what the scriptures say. And this is the question that's in our mind, really, is how could they do that? How could they be so foolish? How for so long could they treat so poorly their fellow Hebrew? How could they hurt the ones they're supposed to love the most? Or how could they mistreat the people in their lives who are so different than them? Yes, they're Hebrews, brothers and sisters, but also you have those who are wealthy and those who are poor and those who are wealthy who are purchasing those who are poor. In this case, at the person who is without funds at their request so that they can be taken care of. They're in very different spectrums. They're in different spots economically. We see that. How, how could you mistreat someone who is, who is struggling so badly in life? How could you mistreat someone so different than you? In verse 14, second half, here's what we read. God says, your ancestors did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Phrases like that, words like that in the Bible, I think are the most troubling. They did not listen to God. They did not pay attention to God. That had ramifications. How we see God is going to impact how we treat people. And how we treat people is a reflection of how we see God. And what we see in the lives of the ancestors of these folks in Jerusalem and in Judea and and pretty much of God's people as a whole is that over the years, they would not listen to God. They would pay no attention to God. They would not trust God. 
And as their hearts become more and more hard to God, guess what? Their hearts also became hard towards those that they were called to love. Now, there's something interesting that takes place here is that, is that we read uh, in verse 16 that what this means is that it says, but now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you who have taken back your male and female slaves, you have let go to go where they wish and have forced them to become your slaves again. Again, it's not just how they treated those different than them or those who are close to them, but it's that they have mistreated God. Now, go back to that covenant idea. They got into this whole situation by making a covenant with God that's very much reflective of other covenants that God's people, God had made with His people. Here's how I want you to behave. Here's how I want you to live. Here's my promises to you if you'll uphold that, so on and so forth. And in this case... We don't, we don't hear the specifics of the covenant, but you get the idea. We're going to set our slaves free. God, we are trusting you to get us out of this mess that we find ourselves in, right? That's what we assume is going on here. They made that covenant in the temple. They went to where they believed the presence of God was at. In other words, this was a big deal. This wasn't a small promise. They, they, they made sure... They were, they were crossing their religious T's and dotting their religious I's. And so God says, you have profaned my name. He says, you, you have made this covenant in my house that bears my name. And now you profane my name. Now that is an interesting word. Um... I'll be honest with you, I'm not, uh, the original languages of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, uh, there's also some Aramaic in there. I am not an expert on that stuff. Um, but I know there's great resources. And so when I see a word and it stands out, I say, I'm going to go to my resources, try to figure out what that means, because I find, find that can be helpful. And so I was looking at that, and I was reading through some commentaries, and it talked about this word, profane. It's actually uh, the Hebrew word, halal. And it's a word that means to pierce. What is God saying when he instructs Jeremiah to use this word on his behalf? He says, you have profaned my name. He says, you have pierced me. What is God saying? He's saying when you mistreat people, you hurt me. It hurts me when you hurt others. When you mistreat those that are closest to you, your fellow Hebrew, or when you mistreat those who are very different than you, those who are much poorer, you pierce me. What I think is even more fascinating than that is that that is the exact word that you read in Isaiah 53. We actually covered Isaiah 53 in a previous sermon. And it is, I think, one of the, and not just I, but many do, it is one of the most clearest descriptions in the Old Testament of Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. Pierced, same word, is a word that's translated profane, 
in Jeremiah 34, 16. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's Isaiah 53, verse 5. God says, you hurt me. Now, that's, we have to understand, in a sense, we're dealing with old covenant stuff. In fact, that word, old covenant, the word covenant itself comes uh, from another word, I think in Latin, that means testament. So you have, that's why the testaments are divided the way they are. There's Old Testament or Old Covenant, and actually there were several covenants in the Old Testament, but Old Covenant and New Covenant. And the old covenant was exactly what we just read that was described. Animals split in two, you uphold your end of the deal, God upholds his. And when you don't, punishment comes. That doesn't describe all of the covenants in the Old Testament. There are other kinds, but that's the big picture. But we see something interesting here that's taking place. God says, you pierce me when you break the covenant that we agreed upon. I'm hurt. And in this case, their retribution was going to be at God's hand. But if you fast forward to the New Testament, by the way, Jeremiah talked about this new covenant that was to come. There's going to be a new way of operating with God. What we find is it's God, just like we read here, but in a fuller sense, it is God being pierced for us. God says, you haven't upheld your end of the covenant. And that hurts. And the new covenant is, I'm going to uphold your end of the covenant for you. And it still hurts. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's paying for our sins. What is Jesus doing in his life? He's living the life we should live. He dies the death we should have died. What does that tell us? It tells us that God in the flesh is upholding our end of the deal as he is upholding his end of the deal. And this is the transfer that we receive from God is that we get to be made right with God because Jesus was right with God and said, I'll give you the credit for it. If you trust me, if you believe in me, you get the credit for all the good things I've done. God will look at you through the lens of the cross. That is the new covenant. Just as God was willing to be pierced In the Old Testament, he was willing to be hurt. He was willing to relate to a people he knew would disappoint them and fail him. And yet he still chose to be close to them. He still chose to be woundable. That's not really a word, but you track with me. He still chose to be able to be wounded. And it's still the God of the New Testament because they're the same one. And the picture of Jesus is God being wounded for us. Now, here's, here's where I find that to be very helpful as we approach Thanksgiving, okay? You may be sitting there wondering this whole time, are we going to hear anything that helps me on Thursday because I need it, all right? The teaching of Scripture is that every person you ever meet, every one of them, is made in the image of God. That's what Genesis teaches us. Every person you have ever met God made them in his own image. So those people that will gather around your table at Thanksgiving, every one of them, the ones you like, the ones you don't like, the ones you're very close to, and the ones that are distant relatives, 
the ones who agree with you on things and the ones who don't agree with you on things. Every one of them made in the image of God. Now that tells us something, but it doesn't tell us everything because we've got to know the next thing. Not only are they made in the image of God, but because God has stamped them with his image, he says, I value them, I love them, and I am willing to be pierced for them. I think this is where change in our heart can really happen if we dwell on this idea, this truth from Scripture. Every person you will ever meet, those you love, those you dislike, those that live in your house and those that live a million miles away, every one of them are made in the image of God and are so loved by God that God would step into human history and be pierced for them. So when you're looking at the eyes of that crazy uncle or that annoying nephew or whoever, or it might be a person in traffic on your way there, every single one of them made in the image of God, so loved by God that God would be pierced for them. And if I really think deeply about that, I know it's hard in the moment. That's why you got to do it now. All right, that's why we have a response time. So you can do this now to prepare yourself for when you're around the folks that may be hard to love. But when I think about that, when I dwell on that, when I consider how much God has loved them, that he has loved them the way he has loved me, that God the Father loves me the way he loves Jesus, it just makes it a little bit harder to mistreat people. I wish, I wish they would have got that. I wish, I wish in Jeremiah's day, his people would have got that. But they didn't, and we can learn from them. And when we are at Thanksgiving, I hope the thing you are most thankful for in the entire world, for an entire human history, for, for as long as you will ever be alive into eternity, I hope the thing that you're always and forever most thankful for is that God and Jesus Christ was pierced for you because he saw in you great value because he stamped you with that value. And he says, I love you so much, I would die for you. And then he did. And then you turn to the person next to you and you say, God, thank you for them because they are like me. Made by you, loved by you. So much that you would die for them. Help me to die to myself to love them well. Let's pray. Father God, the the cross tells us two very important things. One, sin really is that serious. It really is that ugly in us and in others that it would take the blood of the Son of God to scrub us clean. The cross tells us also that not only is sin serious, but your love for us is deep. That not only would it take the blood of the Son of God to scrub us clean, but in Jesus we have a Savior who would look back on that moment and for the joy set before him. God, help it to be our joy to die to ourselves, to love those who are nearest to us and those who are most different from us. That we would honor you because you have made us in your image. You have loved us. You have chosen to be pierced 
by us to make us right with you. God, what greater gift have we ever been given? There's, there's none. Help us to be so filled up with joy that you have loved us in this way that we couldn't help but joyfully love those around us in the coming days. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our time of invitation today. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one, but there's a chance you had someone in mind when we were talking about this stuff, the people who are hard to love that are near us or the people who are so different from us that they're hard to love. There's a chance you had a name and a face run through your brain and you may have even been tempted to start coming up with reasons why you are right to dislike them. And I, I'll leave that to you and God, but I just want to ask you to do one thing during this invitation. If that happened for you, I just want to ask you to do one thing. As we have a time of invitation, you can maybe pray and sing at the same time, or maybe you just pray. But I want to challenge you to pray for that person. Pray and thank God that he made them. Pray and thank Jesus that he died for them. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless them. That's my challenge, all right? So let's enter into this time of invitation thoughtfully, prayerfully, and let's respond to the Lord as he leads us. Would you stand with me as we sing together?